Hello, I'm Meg Walker and welcome to My Kind of People. Join me as I speak to leaders and community members across the world who all share a passion for positive change. Each week we'll explore the power of community, leadership, passion and positivity and the beauty that can be created when these values come together. Each guest has been a big inspiration to me and I'm grateful to call them my kind of people. I hope they'll be yours too. I'm so excited for us all to connect really soon, but until then, I'm sending big love, good vibes and positive energy. Who are your kind of people? Today, I am proud to introduce you to Peyton Robinson, an entrepreneur who is working to reconnect people to the natural environment. Peyton is the founder of Bloom Daddy Plants, a Los Angeles-based business selling collector houseplants. He is also the founder of Nature's Finest Club, a student garden and largest student organisation at Moore Park College. And he is also the host of Plant Economy, a podcast to help people form a deeper connection with nature by understanding the industry, culture and loving plant community. Peyton has inspired me with his positive energy since the moment I met him. His enthusiasm for life and nature is infectious. He'll teach you that they are one and the same. And I'm so excited for you all to share that experience throughout this episode. He has become like a little brother to me and I'm blessed to have him as part of my community and my kind of people. I know his positive energy will make him your kind of person too. Welcome to the podcast, my little but taller than me soul brother, Peyton Robinson. (laughs) Thank you, Meg. That was such a sweet introduction. I appreciate it. You're the best older sister anyone could ask for. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. I've done a lot, but yeah, right now the big focus is the the podcast, you know, because I, I love what you're doing here with the podcast. And what I've found is the best way to connect to people right now with being far away from everyone. Definitely. And that's what it's all about, connection. Who'd have thought it? Two soul siblings making podcasts. The I first know, go. I love it. <laughs> Inspiring each other. It's pretty freaking sweet. Yeah. And how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, it's been a minute. I'm doing really good. I'm back in LA. Mm-hmm. I uh, am doing good. I'm trying to reestablish myself back here at home and grow plants in the backyard. Now that I have all this space, I'm buying nice. a lot of plants, growing a lot more plants, and also just reconnecting with my friends. Amazing. There is a lot to be grateful for. And what are you most grateful for today? Right now, today, I am most grateful for my friends. Living away from them for so long has been very challenging. But now that I get to spend so much time and reconnect with them, it really brings me back to my core and gets me more excited and energized to do all the things that I do on a daily basis. You're so far from me, Meg. You're so far. You're in a whole other country. What is there, a nine-hour difference, eight-hour difference between us? Yeah, I think it's eight hours between LA and London. It's a reason why we're so lucky to have the internet these days, and I'm certainly lucky to have so many incredible people in my community circle. I always enjoy starting the podcast by giving the listeners a little insight as to how myself and the guest met. So where did we meet Peyton? Oh my goodness. Well, I was a lot younger. I would say like like maybe four or five years ago now. I don't know. It's been a long time. You, The highlights of our relationship for sure have been the celebration of my 18th birthday when we went skydiving. 
Yeah. So, uh, we both jumped out of a plane together. And so many other fun memories up at Canyon Creek. We met at Canyon Creek Sports Camp as counselors. We did. And we instantly bonded. We instantly connected. And I think that was a, a really cool opportunity to kind of meet a lot of people and get to know everyone. And it's cool that I don't stay connected with a lot of people from Canyon Creek Summer Camp, but I'm happy that you are one of the ones that I've stayed connected with because, you know, we, we had a lot of fun up there. Likewise, buddy. Likewise. I wouldn't jump out of a plane for just anyone. <laughs> that was fun times. That was five years ago now. I was 22. So how old would you have been then? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, 17, 18 years old. There we I, go. I knew you at least when I was 16 or 17. And then 18, we jumped out of a plane. And then it's been, what, four years since then. So at least five years. And so much has changed in those past five years. Oh, my goodness. Haven't they? You are a man now and a wonderful one. You always were an incredible human being, but it's been so amazing to see you step into your confidence and your lights over the last few years. And before we learn a little bit more about your work within the plant community, it would be wonderful for this community to get to know more about you as a person. So where have you grown and flown? Where did you grow up and where would you consider home to be now? That's a great idea. I grew up in a small town called Moore Park, California, 66 miles outside of Los Angeles, about an hour drive. So in a really nice small suburb, made a lot of cool friends there that I'm still friends with today. All the friends I made in elementary school, we still hang out. It's pretty sweet. I consider Moore Park definitely my home. But, you know, being such a small city, you really have the urge and desire to start exploring the world around you because you're, if you're inside this small little bubble for so long, you just need to get out. Yeah. So I definitely did that a lot. I started doing that in high school. I was fortunate to have my family also and home set up in Burbank with my mom and my stepdad and had a lot of fun out in Burbank as well, developed a community out there. And my mom and my stepdad would travel all the time for work and for just family celebrations. So I've been to a lot of places, including like China, Australia, Mexico, a couple other states, and uh, even Nicaragua. Wow, that's awesome. The most recent trip I went on was, I think it was to Australia last year. That's a big trip. That's a lot of distance. Saw a lot of cool things. Yeah, kangaroos, you know, all that good stuff. But the most influential experience I've had abroad mm -hmm. was just five hours up north in San Jose, California, where I spent a year uh, finishing up my college degree. Yes, congratulations. Where in that full journey from Moore Park to Moore Park with all of these wonderful places in between, did you start to develop your passion for nature and plants? Was that always your passion? Yeah, so it's a funny story how it all started, but it definitely started in high school, my sophomore year of high school. Before I talk about like that initial beginning, it starts way before that, like before you knew me or anything like that mm -hmm. back in pretty much middle school. I feel like I've always had a very entrepreneurial mindset based on like Shark Tank, like all the fun shows that I watched as a kid, along with my parents and family, like everyone around me is doing something with business. So I always kind of had that mindset growing up. And it starts in, in middle school, kind of where I started selling bracelet watches, like little small silicone I bracelet know about this. that were waterproof. And I would buy them on eBay for like 10 cents a pop. 
So I'd buy like $1 worth, 10 bracelets from eBay that had a little watch on it, waterproof. So they're very active, all different colors. And in like two weeks, there was no Amazon Prime back then. It took two weeks from my time ordering them to get here. And Mm -hmm. then I would get them, I'd set all the times right, and I'd go to school and I'd just sell them to all my buddies. They were a really hip, trendy thing back then. And how old were you when you were doing this? I was probably around like, 11 to 13 years old amazing and you have your own little watch company at school I make a lot of money but it was a lot back then because i was a kid and i didn't have any job so about i made i think like profited around uh, 75 to 100 dollars, and it felt really good that's a lot of money to an 11 year old that's incredible i would also like sell candy you know like there was a few big stores in the area like walmart or target or cvs mm-hmm. even Anywhere that sold candy, I'd buy it in bulk and I'd go to school in my backpack and sell a little piece (laughs) of the candy. You know, people in class who were hungry for a snack or whatever. It was always really fun. It was always a fun opportunity to like sell stuff in high school and middle school. So Mm -hmm. I did that. And after middle school, I was looking for more serious things. I got really into gaming. So I started a Minecraft server because I played a lot of Minecraft. I played a lot of video games, Call of Duty, all that stuff. And I saw Minecraft as a really cool opportunity, not only because I enjoyed it, but because it was in a platform that allowed for a lot of freedom to build your own world. And you could actually play multiplayer servers with people. So what I did was I set up my own server. I had a, a friend who was a developer who I met on the internet. And then I had my best friend who was just really, you know, I love playing with. His name is Drew. And we kind of created a little server. I didn't do any of the coding myself. We had someone else for that. But he set it all up. We designed it. And we had a few players consistently play on our server and they would donate to our server they would buy things on our server so i think overall i made like 200 bucks my freshman year off like wow. minecraft and i used that money to go to yogurt land across the street <laughs> actually called yo fruity the more park brand yo fruity i'd go there like once a week and buy yogurt and hang out with my friends so it was really nice look at all that yogurt money you're making that is where it's at that's what life is about <laughs> making money just to buy yoga my freshman year so now we're getting to the juicy stuff we're getting to the nature stuff right let's go Those were all little opportunities i didn't see much success i didn't see much excitement like passion there was just a little bit that made a little bit of uh, reward just a lot of yogurt a lot of yogurt yeah exactly <laughs> so i haven't really found my passion yet or any exciting opportunities until my sophomore summers. After my sophomore year of high school, I work at a day camp called Malibu Canyon Camp in Malibu as an assistant counselor. And there, it's a really cool school. It's actually uh, built by James Cameron and his wife, uh, who are really into nature, like a lot of different philosophies around the land and alternative energy sources. So they had huge solar panel displays. They had huge gardens. And I didn't really think much of it when I first started working there until one early morning when I woke up to do early morning care, which is an hour before camp actually starts. And then I got to like, just, there was no kids there that morning. So I just got there an hour early, wasn't working, just took a tour around the campsite or the facility, the school, because I was really curious just to get out, get some fresh air. So I did that. And on my walk, I met this guy named Paul. Paul is the seedologist. I didn't know what a seedologist was. Yeah, what is a seedologist? A seedologist is someone who learned a lot about seeds and like plant breeding and plant cultivation from seed. 
in college. That's what I think I got from that so when cool. I asked him. And he went around that morning when no kids were there and just showed me all of his really cool plants that he was growing for the kids. And I'm talking like not cucumbers. I'm talking lemon cucumbers. I'm not talking basil. I'm talking Thai lemon basil. You know, what? he showed me crazy <laughs> plants. One plant called the sensitive plant, which I learned later, you touch and the leaves just droop down. Stop. I think I might be a sensitive plant now. <laughs> <laughs> Especially now. Yeah, I think we're all sensitive plants. Yeah. I was just blown away after that morning. I was like, whoa, these are so cool. Like, why haven't I heard of these before? Oh, he also gave me this really cool plant called the toothache plant, which when you eat it, it makes your mouth numb. It's it's not dangerous. It's very minimal numbing, kind of like pop rocks. I've but experienced really cool. this plant. I think you. I gave you one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I ended up growing it myself after that. But uh, yeah, he showed me all these really cool plants and I was just blown away. I would go there in the mornings a lot after that experience just to learn a lot about plants. Because I saw it as something that interested me, but something that not a lot of people knew about, especially my age, that could turn into something economically beneficial as I grew up. So I took that and I went home, watched a bunch of YouTube videos and learned a lot about nature. I got my degree in uh, organic vegetable gardening at a very young age in my sophomore year of high school, just from YouTube, which I highly recommend if you want to learn anything. It's a great resource. Something that comes up time and time again on this podcast is passion and how infectious that can be. Like your own example of Paul being a seedologist, which you didn't know anything about, but his clear passion and love for plants really inspired you on your own journey. And I think the more passionate someone is about something, the more curious it can make others because you want to have some of that joy and find that for yourself. So what does nature mean to you and why do you think it's so important for more people to learn more about our natural world and become passionate about it? Great question. Nature to me kind of encompasses some great human characteristics. And what I mean by that is it gives humans a really cool opportunity to learn really essential skills. For example, it takes at least 60, 90 days to grow one plant. There's a great article that I refer to all the time when I garden and teach new students or people, anyone, how to garden. And one of the things I always tell people is that it helps you build long-term gratification. And long-term gratification is essential for any kind of job opportunity you will have when you grow up out of high school and into college. So when I think of nature, I think of something you can do or, or gardening as something you could do to gain really essential human characteristics for yourself. It's a very self-indulging practice. I don't grow plants for other people. I grow them for myself because I'm genuinely in love with growing plants. You know, mm -hmm. I like sharing that passion with other people like Paul did with me through gardening and through the clubs I've started in high school and college, but it all comes down to the selfish love for nature I personally have. And there are studies that actually prove this is true. Have you heard of the, the marshmallow experiment? I've heard the name, but I don't know what it involves. What is that? Okay, so the marshmallow experiment was conducted by a Stanford professor in the 1960s. And it's a psychological study 
all about the impact of delayed gratification on the success of that person. So it was called famously the marshmallow experiment because a scientist named Walter Michelle gathered a group of hundreds of children and to complete one simple test. And this is the test. They tested them by putting a marshmallow in front of them on a table. Okay. And before leaving the room, the scientists would give each child a choice. They could either eat the marshmallow or they could wait and be rewarded an additional marshmallow for their patients. (laughs) That's a tough decision for a child. (laughs) It's a tough decision for me right now. (laughs) True, true. (laughs) I mean, that's a tough decision. I mean, I definitely love marshmallows from all the summer camp, you know, memories. Mm, That is very true. So they left the room for 15 minutes and the, the kids did not know they were leaving the room for 15 minutes. They just thought they were leaving and they didn't know when they were coming back. So they really had to practice the skill of patience in order to succeed. So of course, some kids ate the marshmallows, some kids didn't. But what's really fascinating about this experience in this experiment is that these scientists followed these children into their teenage and adult years. Wow. Okay. They found was a great example of delayed gratification on the success of these students. What they found was that the children who showed an ability to delay gratification and wait for the second marshmallow displayed, I think, higher test scores, healthier stress management, and stronger social skills, and a lower chance of obesity down the road. Wow. Yeah. And those results are so powerful. It would be interesting to see how that would work now in a time where everything is on instant demand, especially with the introduction of smartphones and smart technology. It feels like news and information is constantly fed to us. It's instant, right? Everything's instant, instant, instant. You bring up a great point about smartphones. There's this thing I learned about. It's called a dopamine detox. Okay. And it's when you practice, like it's a whole YouTube thing right now. Super trendy. Because every notification you get on your phone releases like a tiny bit of dopamine into your body. So what people are doing is they're like stepping away from their phones or staying away from technology overall so they can like detox themselves and just keep to themselves kind of like a meditation from life for however long they choose. And it's important people do that because there is so much instant gratification going on. Instead of doing a detox, you can also just grow plants. That's another great thing people can do to detox themselves and practice this qualities and skills of long-term gratification. Definitely. And that's a perfect example of how often we can be so busy trying to connect with things that don't necessarily serve us, whereas it's learning to reconnect with nature and these processes that, yes, they take a lot longer in time, but they probably have a greater dopamine effect over time. It's slower releasing. And like you say, that gratification. This is the saying, this is the quote that is all entitled in gardening and Mm -hmm. it's a metaphor for everything the journey is always better than the final moment a hundred percent a hundred percent it's something that i live by i live by you know living in the moment enjoying the process enjoying all the conversations all the struggles all the challenges all the little successes because at the end of the day you have to do a hundred right things before you get to that final point 
So there's so much to celebrate, so much to enjoy in the process. And that's exactly what gardening is. There's so many challenges. You have to keep the plant alive. You got to water it. You got to make sure insects don't attack it. You got to make sure that the plant is growing. You got to make sure that the soil and the roots are right. It's all a really fun, challenging process, especially for newbies. I remember growing my first plant and finally harvesting a piece of basil or a tomato from that plant was the most gratifying feeling ever. I, I still have a video from like 2015 of me feeding my dad, who you know, James. I do. And my sister, Holly, mm-hmm. my first ever fully grown tomato. I made these really awesome grow boxes with my stepdad. Mm-hmm. And they were made out of redwood and lined with nice soil. And I brought them over to Moore Park. And I started growing a bunch of vegetables there as my first experiment after, after my sophomore year. And it was just such a great experience. That's so special. Especially as it's something you've created yourself. There is that feeling of pride that comes with it. Whenever I think of the natural world, a huge inspiration to me growing up and a main source for most of my knowledge was Sir David Attenborough. Did you have any inspirations growing up? Did you have any mentors? I know you mentioned Paul, but were there other people who have really helped you on your journey? Yeah, so Paul was definitely the main man who got me going on this path. But as I continued, I found so many interesting opportunities. Plants is a huge industry. In general, I think landscaping and house plants, all that entails like a $34 billion industry. And there are a lot of people trying to disrupt the industry and create and cultivate new opportunities in that industry. I mean, I've always been keeping a close eye on it since I was a young kid, but the people that I've been keeping a close eye on who also inspire me and give me passion, one of them, of course, is Elon Musk. He always talks about the climate apocalypse and all the stuff that is going on in the climate right now. And his companies really, you know, fight that. He's created companies that are cleaner, that are producing really cool products that clean the air, keep the air clean, and um, are taking the next step into that climate revolution where we live in a world with less carbon dioxide, more renewable energy. So he's always definitely been a huge mentor and inspired me with his entrepreneurial success in this new green tech world. Another person who's inspired me is, his name is George Monboy. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but he's a writer for The Guardian, which is, I think, big in the UK, right? Yeah, it's a UK newspaper, yeah. Yeah, so if you haven't heard of him, his name is George Monboy. Before starting at The Guardian, he worked for the BBC, and he was actually an investigative environmental journalist, and he would create videos and productions all around big environmental events, whether they were good or bad. And after that, he started writing for The Guardian. Now he has a bunch of books and is working with Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg, yeah. The newest green revolution to date. So he's very active still in the community. And he's someone I always look to to see what's going on and and stay aware of all the environmental issues in the world. Because it's more than just plants. It's the climate. It's the world overall. A hundred percent. It's always been important, but now more than ever, we have got to be taking better care of our planet. And I really admire people like Greta, who are inspiring the younger generation and people of all ages, really, to turn things around so that we can hopefully have a better future. So that's a great example of people who are trying to make positive changes where they can. When we worked together as youth counsellors, I feel that we were so blessed with our location. We were based right at the heart of nature, in the middle of the Angeles Forest. 
And there was something really special about living in that natural environment. I think it really did shine a light as well on how few opportunities there can be these days for kids to really learn about nature and understand how it works. When we were there, you had created the first official nature club at camp. And it was so joyous to see how quickly that club grew in popularity and the desire from youths to learn more. Why do you think there aren't more nature-focused clubs? Do you think there are any misconceptions around that? And how would you want to help people think more positively about nature clubs? Love that question. I mean, it's always been something I've challenged with answering on my own. I I don't know why there aren't any more nature clubs or communities, uh, especially in the education system. It blows my mind that people aren't using plants to educate young kids and people on all these great skills and qualities we all need to be learning. Like there's not a lot you learn in the classroom that teaches you these essential skills. So it blows my mind, truthfully. And it's something that I've had to struggle with. I I can't tell you the answer to that. All I can tell you is what I've done to answer that question, (laughs) which is build gardens and parties and clubs at all these places. As a youth counselor with you, you know, you always supported me in this, which I loved and thank you so much for, is that free choice we tagged as Peyton's plant party, where everyone just like was like a party, like let's go to this party free choice. Like it's a party, it's fun. People didn't really know what they were getting themselves into. They just knew that it was going to be fun and exciting. And we would go out into nature, like in the creek or in the forest, and we would plant some really cool trees or bushes or something just to get people's hands dirty and teach them a little something in a fun way about nature. And I've had so much success with it at camp. And I also had a lot of success with it in high school and in college. In high school, I didn't tell you yet. I just blew my mind that we didn't have anything at that high school. So I did get my friends together and we just created a club called Nature's Finance Club, mostly as a joke initially, but it branched into this huge organization. At our first meeting, which I thought only my friends would show up to, 80 students at Moore Park High School, like 250 students big, you know, big chunk of the students showed up in this classroom, flooding the doors. I bought three pizzas. Like (laughs) That's not going to go very far. Nobody got pizza, but they came for the pizza, I'm sure. But at that meeting, you know, I gave a little presentation, told them it's our job to build a student garden at this high school. And if anyone's watching this, who's young, you know, and still in high school or still in college, please check if you don't have a student garden or if you do have a student garden and think of it as a really cool opportunity, not only to learn about nature, but create and make an impact on your community and on your campus because growing vegetables not only is good for you, but it's good for the community. It's true. And I was equally amazed when you started your camp plant club, Peyton's Plant Party, by how much of a demand there was for it. The kids absolutely loved it. And maybe part of that was the fact that it was like a party. It really was a celebration of nature and it really tried to channel the fun element of it. We've all experienced that joy of learning something new and having that curiosity. And I talk about this a lot, but part of the reason I did the podcast was because I believe you'll never find someone happier than when they are talking about their passions. It brings out this light in them and it really is infectious. And I definitely saw that with your plant club. You were so involved and so excited to talk about nature and plants because you genuinely love it. And that's trickled down to the kids. 
I absolutely believe that our attitudes and our energy play such an important part in our lives. I think they can determine what we go on to create and who we connect with. As I mentioned in the intro, I've always been struck by your energy. You are so confident in yourself and you give off this energy that seems to pass on to everyone you interact with. It's such a beautiful thing to witness and it always feels so great to be in your presence. How do you maintain that positive energy? What motivates you, especially when, as you say, often you've been the person to start up these initiatives because you've been the only one there really demanding it? Yeah, great question. I don't know. I mean, it's tough. I definitely appreciate you thinking I'm very full of energy and I give off that vibe. And it's something that I always try to bring forth, you know, because you need that energy to start something, right? It's always been a part of me. I, I, I want to thank all my parents who definitely like are energetic and always working, you know, both my dads are very hardworking people and they don't stop working. They're, they're always doing like two or three things and they're doing them well. So that's definitely inspired my work ethic and my mom. She's very positive, very outgoing, no matter what happens, she's always positive, you know, anything, whether it's health related, whether it's tragic or in any way, she's always bringing in the positive energy and the positive vibes and uplifting the situation. And she's really good in social situations. So I feel like I've learned a lot from my parents and definitely thank them for all the, the, the stuff, good vibes. <laughs> the good vibes that I have. I'm a sole advocate for YouTube because I've met a lot of cool people or I've seen a lot of cool people on YouTube who just have that energy as well and give it off. A lot of it comes with having a routine. So it's more than just growing plants. It's developing a nice routine for yourself. I watched a lot of YouTube videos on building a happy and healthy routine, which then cultivates stronger energy and a stronger ability to give everything on a day-to-day basis. You make such a good point because it's not always there at the start, right? Sometimes you have to kind of fake it until you make it. It can be very daunting just to start, but by starting small and creating a routine that you can then build upon, you can grow into that confidence, I guess. Exactly. I mean, waking up in the mornings, I'm not always the most energetic, but after my morning routine, I definitely am. And I do want to credit one YouTube video and specifically when I was in high school, I watched a video on like the best morning routines that all the CEOs do or whatever. And this guy was saying that if you wake up at 4.30 a.m. and go to sleep at 8.30 p.m., you will live the fullest, most fulfilling days ever. That means you're awake for sunrise and sunset. And you have all the time in the world, not only to work on your own things with no one awake, no notifications, you have no morning notifications on your phone at 4.30 a.m. And you go to bed before you get stuck on your phone at 8.30 p.m. So overall, you're more connected to yourself, less distracted by all the things in your environment. And I tried that routine for a little bit right before college when it almost became impossible for me. And it did wonders on what I was able to give on a day-to-day basis. That's great. I've actually spoken to quite a few people who have a similar routine. It seems to have been especially helpful for people who run their own business or have had a side project at the same time. I know from my previous experience with meditation, when I did my meditation retreat, those retreat days start so early and you can start at 4.30 a.m. I know coming back from that experience, I've definitely seen the benefit of starting my mornings earlier. 
I don't start my day as early as that at the moment, but I think there is definitely something in waking up earlier than others and having that time for yourself to grow as a person. I've found it very peaceful and I've used that time to both relax and enjoy some quiet time. And I've also had extra time to be productive without any distractions. So I definitely agree with you there. Like you were saying, it's, it doesn't require mental work. It just requires a mindset, a willful mindset. There, you don't have to be good at calculus. You don't have to be good at physics. You don't have to be good at this or this. You just have to dedicate mindset and have a focused mindset and just commit to it and it'll change your life. I agree. I agree. And as we mentioned in the introduction, you are the founder of Nature's Finest Club. Can you please tell us about how this was founded and what do you hope it will contribute to the world? Yeah, of course. So I guess going along with the story, after high school, after I created the Moore Park High School, I went on to go to Moore Park College, which is a community college in that same town that I grew up. At Moore Park College, the first thing I noticed on my tour before even starting was that, guess what? There wasn't a garden, (laughs) no plant, no garden. This was a 250 acre campus, literally barren space, unused space. Nothing was being cultivated on it. Nothing was being built on it. No gardens whatsoever. There was a small garden in the child development center where they grew like a three tomato plants, but nothing that could actually teach and give students an opportunity to build and cultivate the knowledge and the benefits of gardening. Paul, the seedologist, would be so sad. He would be so... I actually told him this. I called him. I told him, I was like, how do I start a giant garden? Like he did, because his garden was huge. Bigger than... I only built a 660 square foot garden at the high school. That's pretty big. Pretty big, pretty fun. But at the college, I wanted to build like an acre garden. Like the biggest school as, as a whole, you know? So it was a huge challenge. Took a lot of energy, but I contacted a lot of people. I went in to have a meeting with the president of Moore Park College, give him a PowerPoint presentation on my dream for Moore Park College starting a gardening program. He recommended, he supported me 100%, which is huge. You know, one of the big things when it comes to finding something is having political or support from administration when it comes to a school. So anyone's watching who's going to a college or studying or in an environment that doesn't have gardening, you need administrative support. And once you have the top dog support, he will make it all happen. And what I mean by that is he put me in touch with the right people. He gave me an opportunity to speak to the entire college, all the deans, all the administrators, and all of the teachers, all the Mm -hmm. professors at Moore Park College at a, a lunch event for the whole school before it opened. I was able to give a speech saying, here's my dream for my Moore Park College experience. Like, I have a dream and here it is. He gave me that platform. I found so much support at that meeting to the point where I had the staff on board. Now they needed to see if I had the students on board. (laughs) So I had to get my friends together. I had to go to Club Rush, which is a huge Club Rush event, talk to the student body and share my message and share my passion with my fellow comrades and peers, which is actually a lot easier than getting administrative support. If you're a student on campus who has an idea, I almost guarantee you there is another student with that same idea on your campus. Finding them is a challenge, but if you're open to speaking with your professors, open to connecting with other student clubs and the student body, you will find those people. 
Thankfully, I had a lot of friends from Moore Park High School who I also had come to Moore Park College and were on my team. But definitely without Moore Park College and the community of students, we wouldn't have been able to succeed. So I had a team of 10 that first year who was able to help create the club. And within six months of starting my freshman year of college, we had documentation saying that the school will lease us indefinitely 10,000 square feet of land from War Park College. And they also said in this paperwork that they would install an irrigation line, a main line right to our garden location because they wanted us somewhere where there wasn't already irrigation lines. And they would do that all at cost at the administration. And we also then got student support, $5,000 from the associated student body to start the initial project and construction, which means we had blueprints, we had ideas and visions already lined up, created by students, not me, I couldn't do this alone, all other students, vice president, garden manager, and just the, the club members as a whole, we wanted to make this happen. And from there, from the vision, we were able to create a reality that would slowly be built in that second half of the semester. So by my second year of college, starting out at Moore Park College, the garden would be ready to grow vegetables. Yes, that's so special and a testament to your character, Peyton. It demonstrates your determination and your passion. If there's not a door open for you, you go and make a door. I'm so proud of you. Your passion has gone on to inspire other people, which is such a gift. Having been both the founder and the president of Nature's Finest Club, what did those positions teach you about leadership and what values did you hope to inspire in others? I think that the most challenging aspect of being a leader and a founder is not stopping, like not giving up, you know, always moving forward and always trying to make it happen. As a leader, you have to have the, you know, the energy and the mindset just to keep going no matter what challenge comes your way, because there will always be a solution and how important teamwork is like no leader can do it on their own in anything. Like if you're building something bigger than yourself, bigger than what you can and you know you can accomplish, you need people around you that want that same goal. And the one quote that the student activity specialist at the time told me was that there's nothing more pure than the heart of a volunteer. I love that. And what that means is if you're not getting paid to do something and you genuinely love doing it, you will put in more energy and more passion behind it than you would if it was something you were being paid to do or there was obligations for that you personally were in it for other reasons. So when they say there's nothing more pure than the heart of a volunteer, They merely mean once you find those people that are super pure and full of passion and just love the idea with no incentives whatsoever, you can make it happen. And that's what I think. And that's what I think that made it so successful. A hundred percent. There is so much truth in that, isn't there? You've got no other incentive than the pure love of the activity or the thing you're working towards. I love that message. Yeah, you possess those same qualities, Meg. I think before you end your first season, you have to have someone come on and interview yourself because I know you have (laughs) a lot of energy behind all the things you do. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Are you volunteering? (laughs) I volunteer as tribute to interview you, yes. Two podcast hosts interviewing each other. What could go wrong? That's very sweet of you to say, P. Thank you. 
But for now, let's get back to you and your inspiring work because Nature's Finest Club really was built by yourself from the ground up. It's incredibly inspiring to think how many people will be inspired by and benefit from your work, even now that you've left the college. How do you hope that Garden and the Nature Club continues to evolve and serve people in the future? So I like to say the Garden Club is too big to fail at this point. It's a bad (laughs) reference, but it's true. Mm -hmm. The Garden is super successful. We have lots of engagement and lots of administrative support behind the program to have students grow greens and donate them to the community and the college food bank. All the greens that we grow go right to the students and all the fruits, or they also go to the food bank if we have excess and surplus. So it's a nice system that the school was able to participate in. And I see it continuing. I see it growing. I see it turning into something way bigger than just a more part college thing, especially as I grow into new opportunities outside of college. I definitely see myself trying to figure out ways to make Nature's Finest Club more universal worldwide movement than just the college movement. But as you know, you start somewhere and just keep on giving it energy and hopefully it will grow into a beautiful flower. So I don't know exactly what's ahead for Nature's Finest Club, but I know that as of right now, it's still showing much success. Even during COVID and the pandemic, we have a team of student leaders right now at Moore Park College who I have no contact with because mm-hmm. you can't go to Moore Park College Garden if you're not a student. So it's like, I'm out. Like, <laughs> I have no ownership of it anymore, you know? I talk to them sometimes and just hear how things are going and try to give them advice, but it's really up to them to keep it going at Moore Park College. And I think eventually with enough student support and time, we'll, we'll grow bigger. And I think that's another great sign of leadership that you've created this beautiful resource. You've created such strong foundations for it and you've built a really strong team around you that you can now leave it in safe hands. What an incredible way to serve your community, Peyton. You started it at Moore Park and you've gone away and done your own thing, but the garden continues to not only help people at your local college, but it's helping serve your community and the people at your local food banks. It's a resource that keeps on giving. It's funny you mention that because at Moore Park College, I was successful, right? But at Moore Park High School, I was totally unsuccessful in making that a sustainable organization. Mm-hmm. See, at the college, I learned from my mistakes. At the high school, I made a bunch of mistakes. One of the mistakes was not having students succeed after I left. I thought once it was built, it would just magically be maintained and organized and people will be growing stuff and the administrative would be super supportive of it along with the landscapers. No, that was not the case. When I left Moore Park High School, only the landscapers who retired one year after I left, the main ones that I was best friends with, <laughs> took care of the garden. All the students and all the administrative people at play didn't really recognize the garden as an opportunity to learn and connect their students to nature. It was always like a student thing. And when all my buddies left, when the next generation of students left Moore Park High School, no one knew about the garden. And the landscapers who retired, no new landscapers knew about the garden. So it was just kind of like an oasis behind the high school that never was really maintained anymore. Thankfully, I planted a bunch of native plants there that took over and now provides beautiful sanctuary for bees and stuff. But it's not a student garden anymore. It's just a piece of land with beautiful flowers. (laughs) So I learned my lessons as a leader to make sure your organization is sustainable through my experience at high school. 
I think that is a really important point to touch on because I think a huge part of leadership is being willing to fail. You have to be willing to fail because I truly believe that it's only by failing and learning lessons from those experiences that we can then go on to succeed. Because when we fail, it teaches us how to do things better, right? It teaches us to develop and to grow. It's like they say, I think the only way to really fail is not to try at all. I've learned from my own experiences that failure teaches us the biggest lessons of all. Because it's all great when things are successful and flowing. But when we fail, it requires us to look closer at ourselves and our actions. and really think about what our why is. Failure is free data acquisition where we can reflect on what went wrong and use that to grow and do better in the future. So thank you, Peyton, for being so honest about your previous failures, because I think it's really important. Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, I listen to a bunch of podcasts. I learned so much from podcasts and I recommend people do the same because Although you're not actually practicing when you listen, you're learning strategies that other people have learned by failing. And you could do that. Like you don't have to be failing in order to learn these lessons. You're talking to a lot of cool people on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I've listened to a lot of people. I've listened to a lot of podcasts who talk to really cool people as well. And I learn really cool strategies that allow me to put them in play and see what happens. If they're successful, great. If not, don't listen to the podcast anymore. <laughs> If you find a cool strategy from someone on online or wherever you consume media, put it to work. Like if anything I'm saying and what Meg is saying resonates with you, try it out because it will help you get started on a path that will lead you somewhere, regardless of what destination. Definitely. We seem to be growing up in a culture where so many people are afraid of failing. I think society can give this idea that success is so easily attainable but that is not true life there is so much power in failing I think and it's such a human quality and is actually something that can bring us all together because we are all human and we have all failed at some point in our life and what then makes us different is how we choose to take those failures and then grow right Couldn't say it better than that right there. Oh, perfect. (laughs) It's interesting that you brought up podcasts earlier because one of your most recent projects has been to set up your own podcast called Plant Economy, which is another resource to inspire and connect people within the plant community. What does the plant community mean to you and what do you think makes the plant community so special? Yeah. Thanks for the shout out. Plant economy is where it's at right now. I'm doing it with my buddy Carlos. What makes it special and what makes the plant community special overall is the amount of uh, knowledge there is in the plant community. If you go on Facebook and you type in plants, there'll be hundreds of groups that pop up. I'll definitely give some recommendations on groups uh, to you guys, but truthfully, all you need to do is follow at plant economy because we kind of give you insight on how that all works. I've been a part of the plant community for a long time now, whether it's the native plant community, whether it's the house plant community, all plant people are really nice and really loving because they take the time to learn about plants, learn about how they failed, learn about how they succeeded with certain plants in their homes. So it's a really fun place where people come together and share their successes and failures with plants they're growing all throughout the world. I know I follow one group where it's like 
the UK rare plants. I follow another group that's California native plants. I follow another group that's California invasive plants. And it's just so fun. I learned so much on the groups, just as much as I would on YouTube because of people who are experts and sharing their knowledge just because they have goodwill and want people to learn. You mentioned earlier that you've created this podcast with your friend Carlos, and I've been enjoying listening to the podcast. And on the podcast, Carlos has been very vocal, which has been very humorous to listen to, about his hatred of plants. You really do have two hosts on very different sides of the plant-loving spectrum. So my question for you, Peyton, is, well, firstly, have you managed to change Carlos's view at all? And secondly, how do you plan to encourage others who also may not be the biggest plant fans? <laughs> You're right. I mean, it's funny you mention that. Yeah, I host the podcast with Carlos, who doesn't like nature. He's had only bad experiences with nature. And it's my ultimate challenge of convincing people in general who have these same bad experiences to try growing plants. And it's a really hard challenge. I mean, psychologically, it's almost impossible. But Carlos has shown signs of willingness to grow plants because he is open to talking about it and growing plants. I recommend if you like plants to give your non-plant loving friends a plant of any sort and see how they connect with it. If they, they don't keep it alive, you know, that's okay. Try again in a year. Everyone is in a different mental place. And once they're ready to care for something like a plant, they can change, they can flip in a switch. I've learned that, you know, you're not, you're either a plant person, or you're not a plant person. That's not true. People are ready for plants at whatever time they're ready to learn and learn the skills that it takes to grow a plant. It's not about being a plant person. It's about being ready to learn the skills it takes to be a plant person. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people who would like to be a plant person, but wouldn't even know where to start. For example, I personally love nature, but admittedly, I know very little about plants. I have, however, recently decided that I would like to maybe invest in some house plants, but I really do have no idea where to start or how they should be looked after. So do you have any tips for me or anyone listening on becoming a house plant parent? Yes, yes. <laughs> Number one, follow a bunch of Instagram accounts of plant fluencers. There's a whole group of plant influencers called plant fluencers. We release episodes every Monday, but we just did one on plant fluencers. And they're great people to follow because they don't only tell you about the trendy plants that exist in the houseplant world, the ones that are super pretty, the ones that everyone loves to grow that are hard to find. They also tell you all the tips it takes to take care of those plants. And they document them and share them on their Instagram feeds a great place for community and a great place to learn. So I recommend you guys follow those accounts along with my account, Plant Economy and Carlos's account, because we do our best to analyze this industry, break it down and really help get new plant people involved in the plant world. Nice. Hashtag plant fluences. That might be my new favorite hashtag. But okay, I think I'm feeling a little bit more ready for plant parenthood now. I mean, it can be a big commitment though. Is there a plant daycare or anything like that? Would you be willing to plant sit for me? <laughs> I've thought about it before and thankfully lots of houseplants are forgiving, you know, especially okay. the big ones. They're so forgiving. They are <laughs> so, so forgiving. Honestly, most houseplants thrive on neglect 
Oh no, us humans need forgiveness. Yeah, I recommend anyone who's starting out just to go to their local grocery store and pick out a pretty plant on the shelves at the front of the store because truthfully, those are the best ones to start with and they give you the same satisfaction as the ones that are sold at houseplant shops, which are also really cool to go to. My personal favorite plants to grow are the babies because you get to see the most growth from the babies. And I get like any other human being, I get gratified. I get satisfied. Dopamine gets released when growth occurs and when plants stay alive and when I don't kill them. So I like starting with small plants. Great advice. Oh, Peyton, you are such a source of joy and inspiration in my life. And I love your ability to connect with people. It is a pleasure to be in your orbit. And I would love for more people to learn from you and share your enthusiasm for all things nature. So how can people do this? Is there a place online that they can find you or any of your projects? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. You're the best. You're the best, Meg. I do love having conversations like this with you. And I look forward to many more. The best place to find me is at Plant Economy on Instagram. Or you could also just follow my student organization at Moore Park College called naturesfinestclub.org. I'd say the best place to do it, though, is on Instagram. Message me in the DMs and you could talk to me or Carlos there and ask us any questions you have. Personally, I would also just follow the famous plant influencers as well. I'm personally not a, a plant influencer yet, but I'll, I'll be there one day. And once I am, I believe. you could uh, follow me then. <laughs> I believe in you. Let's make Peyton a plant fluencer. I've certainly been influenced by your positivity and your passion over the years. So let's make it happen, people. I believe in you. Thank you, Meg. I appreciate it. I hope you have success growing plants. If you need any more tips, you know where to find me. Oh, I will. I feel like I'm going to be a very nervous plant parent. There might be a lot of sleepless nights staying up with my plant baby. So I'm sure there will be plenty more questions coming your way. Before we finish, is there anything else that you would like to leave us with? Do you have any upcoming events and projects? I know your podcast is currently out right now and you have an exciting new business venture on its way. Yes, thanks for asking. The podcast has been season one done. Now all my time and energy is going into Bloom Daddy Plants on Instagram. Type in that handle, look us up. It is built for kids and collectors, kids who love the interactive, cute little plants, and then the collectors who like the rare exotic ones. We do it all. Amazing. So Bloom Daddy Plants. And where are you based? We are based in Los Angeles, California. That is Bloom Daddy headquarters. We work here nonstop growing these plants, keeping good care of them, and making them available on you know a weekly basis to everyone we don't have a website which is fine because we honestly wouldn't be able to update it with as many orders we're doing right now we just only use instagram so that's the best place to find us if you're in europe where you are meg i love i love you guys i love my fam out there but i recommend not buying plants from me just because of the distance and ups shipping costs find someone local find a local plant dealer who has a cool selection like me, I could help you out and let's grow together. Yes, amazing. I love that. And thank you. I always appreciate uh, encouragement to shop local. 
So follow at Bloom Daddy Plants. If you are LA based or in America, you can get your fill of incredible collector house plants. And if you're in Europe, still give Bloom Daddy Plants a follow because you can get some awesome ideas and tips from Peyton. So thank you. Thank you, Meg. Thank you. Check it out, people. And finally, Peyton, do you have any extra words of wisdom that you would like to leave people with? Thanks. Yeah, I only have one last thing to say, and it pretty much is to keep on learning new skills, keep on growing, and just stay positive. Because no matter what you do, if you're learning and you're attaining new skills, whether it's growing plants, those soft skills will help you with the jobs you will get eventually when they come your way or when you start looking for them. So no matter what you do, just have some fun, grow plants. And thanks for having me, Meg. Such good advice. There you go. Peyton Robinson, everyone. It is always a pleasure, Peyton. I feel like many house plants are going to thrive after this podcast. And especially if you go and check out Plant Economy and Bloom Daddy Plants. We'll make sure there are links to these resources in the show notes as well. Thank you, Peyton, for always being such a positive influence. Thank you for caring so wholeheartedly about our planet and for creating these resources that will help us help nature continue to thrive. And thank you for being my kind of person. (laughs) Appreciate it, Meg. Thank you too. Love you and uh, let's keep in touch, all right? Always. You are very welcome and I will most definitely be in touch with all of my plant parent questions. Keep shining your light, brother. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of My Kind of People. I hope you felt the positive energy from this week's guest. If this episode was of value to you, then please rate, review and subscribe. It's so greatly appreciated. Thanks again.